0: Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Well, good morning or afternoon, everybody. My name is Javin. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. I am 21 years old, almost 22 now, and I've been sober for seven months as of December 15th, which was two days ago. So I've been asked to share a little bit of my experience, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I'm going to start way back at the beginning with my childhood. I come from a family that are very devout members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. So I was raised in a home with very loving parents who are really good examples of a good, healthy marriage. Um, Don't really know of any addiction problems within my my immediate family. I know for a fact that my dad has never struggled with any kind of sexual addiction or really any addiction at all, and I don't think my mom has either. So really good parents. Um, They were very emotionally stable growing up. But I remember as a kid, um, I always had this, this really strong desire and this kind of need to feel accepted by people around me. And that included parents, you know, wanting to always do what they wanted and and feel feel their pride in me, I guess. And it expanded to my friends. I was usually the youngest in my friend group. I remember as a, as a young kid playing with friends and um, they were all older than me and Some of them were kind of bossy, but I didn't care. And I sometimes would let them bully me a little bit in our games. Not like physically bully me, but just sort of push me around within the game, making me do what they wanted. And I wanted to be accepted by them, so I didn't really say anything or do anything to stop it. Um, And I think that was an early indicator of some addict behavior. I know for a fact that this is just something that I was born to deal with because I remember as a kid um encountering some things in media and in books that triggered lust in me and I didn't know what it was at the time but it was confusing and it was a feeling that felt good but I also felt ashamed about at the same time and didn't really know how to deal with it. My first real exposure to pornography was at the age of eleven. I remember exactly where I was. I was in a mall type setting with my grandpa and I looked in a restaurant and I saw this painting on a wall of a lady without any clothing on and Um, I'd never seen anything like that in public before. And so it just kind of surprised me. And I I remember feeling like, wow, this is different. And I I didn't really act on it for a while. It kind of just simmered in my mind and I would fantasize about it, but not really know exactly how to fantasize about it because I was still so young. Um, I think I started really seeking more of it out about a year later when I was 12 or so, I remember my grandma had some magazines in her house um, for women's apparel that I would look through. And of course, that was just a very soft form, but the disease is progressive. So I wasn't satisfied with that. And I, I kept finding it more and I needed more. So I started sneaking onto my parents' laptop during the day when I was supposed to be doing homework or whatever. And I would look up pictures on there and then The pictures progressively got worse and worse. And by the age 14, I I can confidently say I was a full-on pornography addict and also started self-abusing or masturbating. And looking back at that time, um, I was completely living a lie in every regard. 14, I think, is just a hard age in general for anyone to live through, but an ad an addiction makes it so much worse. I remember I, I would use it as a coping mechanism for stress, um, for feeling alone. There were, there were kids in my neighborhood that, that I hung out with and a couple of the girls really liked my best friend. And I remember kind of feeling jealous about that and being caught up in that little love triangle and feeling like, well, why don't they like me? And I think I'm more attracted than my friend or whatever comparison that wasn't really accurate. And I would act out to, to numb that pain or to forget about it or to make myself feel more valued or confident. And it continued like this for years um, from age 14 to 16. I was full on addicted and looking up pornography and masturbating daily, sometimes hourly and I kept it very secret. My, I'm the oldest child in my family and my parents aren't super technically savvy. So it was pretty easy to hide things on the computer from them. So they, they never caught me. I, I was very secretive about it and did a really good job of hiding my tracks or so I thought, but that comes later. And I had some friends that I was really close with, but of course, my addiction really limited my ability to emotionally connect with them. And there was this one girl specifically, I remember I was, I really, really liked her, but she didn't really like me back romantically. And so of course that fed into my self-pity and my desire to feel accepted, which fed into my addiction and which in turn made me depressed around her because I secretly longed for that human connection and felt like she was my chance to get it, but she wasn't giving it to me. And my addict's brain automatically blamed her and said, this is her fault. So I, whenever I was around her, I'd become really sullen and depressed and kind of pouty. And I'm like 16 by this point. So yeah, teenagers have hormones, but this was, this was a bit extreme. And finally I remember one day I had a friend who Actually before I say that I want to back up and say something else. I I think my biggest fear at this point was admitting that I was an addict. I I didn't I just tried not to think about it. I was still very active in my religious life and my parents didn't really know anything was going on. They probably just thought it was the struggles of being a teenager in general and feeling in your hormones and um developing who you are, but I was very active outwardly in my social life and in religious life, and I kept it all hidden deep down. I felt this really deep need that stemmed from my childhood to to be accepted by people around me, and I had a fear of letting them down. And I felt like if people knew who I really was on, on the other side of my double life, that they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't accept me, they would be horrified, because deep down I was horrified at myself and the person I'd let me become so what it, what did it feel like it felt like i was two people at the same time one of these people was a fake me that was happy and was connected with people and was close to god and was leading a fulfilling life and the other half of me was also not quite the real me but a side of me that was dark and secluded and alone that acted out and was addicted and was constantly lusting and fantasizing after people everywhere in my life and desperately wanted to be connected but was isolating myself at the same time. So back to my friend. At this point, I had a, a really good friend who sat me down and he, he looked at me in the eye and he said, "Jabin, you are destroying your life right now and you're breaking up your friendships. We can tell you're not happy. You've got to change something or you're going to end up miserable for the rest of your life. And I remember at that point, I was pretty numb in a lot of ways emotionally, but when he said that, something finally kicked inside of me and I thought, you know what? I don't want to spend the rest of my life living like this. That does not sound fun. And God really put some tender mercies in my life at that point. He placed my friend there to tell me that. He placed some music in my life that really inspired me and helped me realize that I needed to change and I wasn't happy anymore like I had been once upon a time. And I I call that the first awakening in my life because that was the first moment I really remember feeling like I wanted to quit and I wanted to be finished and I didn't want to have to rely on pornography or acting out with myself for happiness anymore because it didn't last. It would come and then it would go and then I would feel empty usually more empty than before, but I didn't know what else to do, so I just kept doing it. So after that first awakening, I, I entered a stage in my life that I, I think of as kind of a gray area, and it started off really well. I, I confessed for the first time to somebody. First, I talked to a leader in my church about my problem with pornography, and I thought of it just as a problem at that time. I don't think I could fully admit to myself I was an addict yet. Um, but he was very kind and understanding and encouraging, and I don't, I don't know if he fully understood the the gravity of his sexual addiction when he talked to me. I was still pretty young; I was sixteen. But he he offered me some very good advice and counsel, and was loving and and kind, and it was a good experience. And Then I told my parents about what I had been doing and that I had been using their computer to look up these things, and that was one of the most Painful experiences I've ever gone through of watching my parents' faces and just the crushing disappointment that they felt, and they asked me, "Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you come out and and share and let us help you?" And I, I told them I I couldn't let you down. I didn't want you to think this way about me. So that was really hard. And then of course they went on their computers and they looked in the history and found all the things I'd been looking at, and it was. it was painful to say the least. So my parents and I started looking into solutions. Well, what can we do about this? Um, They looked into some private therapy, which I tried for a little bit. And it it was just kind of an awkward situation that my therapist was like a 24 year old woman who was newlywed and had a kid. And she was really good. Like she was a professional, but I just didn't relate to her at all. And I didn't feel super comfortable around her sharing things about my addiction. So that didn't work. We all, we found a, a support group that's very similar to SA. Um, it's based on my religious upbringing in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's specifically for boys ages 12 to 18 about pornography addiction. So I got involved in that and was involved in that for about two years from 16 to 18. It really helped in a lot of ways. It I was able to stay sober for the longest period up to that point, which was about 12 weeks or, I guess, I don't know what that math comes up to, three-ish months. And that was a huge accomplishment for me at that time, and I felt really happy about it. Looking back now, um, it wasn't true sobriety. I wasn't acting out, but I was definitely not lust-free either. I would fantasize about people still and have sexual thoughts and dwell on them. Sometimes I would even act out a little bit with myself, but not enough to go quote unquote all the way. So I didn't count it, but in my mind it was, it was huge progress and it it wasn't some ways, but it wasn't, it wasn't true recovery in the sense that I understand it now. And I think what I was really missing then was an understanding of lust and how that fits into the, the equation of a sexaholic I heard it once said that A plus B equals C. And sometimes we think of A, or let me back up. So B in this equation, B is something hard in your life. It's any kind of hardship, any stress, any feelings of loneliness or negative feelings at all. And C is acting out. So A plus B equals C. And sometimes we think that A, well, obviously it's pornography or it's masturbation or it's having affairs or being unfaithful. It's, People assume it's the action of the acting out, but it's not. It's lust. So lust plus negative feelings or experiences equals acting out. And I didn't understand that when I was 16 to 18 during that age. I, I just assumed that if I stopped looking at porn or stopped masturbating that that would solve my problems. And it didn't long term because I would still relapse every few months, sometimes every few weeks, so not as regularly, but still decently frequent, and I I kind of assumed in my mind that that was okay, that that was just part of my addiction, and that's how the rest of my life was going to be. I would have times of good, and then a little slip-up here and there, and then I would go back to being okay for a while, and I just thought, well, this is what I'm doomed to be like in my life, so it felt like a good step in the right direction, but not, not a true full recovery. Um, at that point, I, I decided to serve a full-time mission for my church, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. It's where we go out for two years and live a life of, um, very, very high dedication to our standards and to, to sharing our beliefs. And so I, I put in the papers for that and I was called and assigned to serve in Detroit, Michigan. So I went there for two years and it was a great experience overall. It, it taught me a lot. And I, I look back on it with a lot of fondness. Um, when I went out as a missionary, I was, I'd been sober for a little while and I, I was very determined to stay sober because it's a very spiritual atmosphere and they have very high standards of living and conduct. So I told myself I'm going to stay clean for this whole time. And I, uh, I promised myself that, but of course I was still lusting and I didn't fully understand how to stop that. So a couple months into my mission, I started acting out again and I I didn't look at pornography because I didn't have access to it, but I, I would masturbate and I would fantasize, especially at nighttime when we were trying to go to sleep. And I felt awful about it. I knew it was wrong. I felt so guilty. So, I talked to my mission president, which is our our leader when we're missionaries, and told him what I was doing, and I expected to get sent home for um, my actions, but he didn't send me home. He just listened, and he he was very kind and understanding, and I found out later, as my mission went on, that a lot of missionaries were struggling with self-abuse, with masturbation, and it shocked me, because I thought that I was the only one. I thought, how can we all be doing this if we're living such a high standard in life? And I think that was the most confusing part to me was I'm living my life right now in a more spiritual way through my actions than I ever have before and probably ever will. And I felt like I, I feel like I'm so close to God in a lot of ways. Why am I still acting out? Why is this addiction still a part of my life? I understand now that you can't really be as close to god as you think you are if you are still allowing lust to dominate your life and so while in a lot of ways i was very close to god and i had a lot of very spiritual experiences um, that was that was a roadblock to my my ability to function as a missionary so for the whole two years i struggled with those feelings of well I'm trying my best and I'm trying to be close to God, but I don't understand why I'm still acting out. And I'm, I'm trying my very best, but I'm still, I'm still acting out. So I went home after the two years was over and I came home honorably and my family was great. So happy to see me. It was a great reunion. And when I started, or when I first got home, I started dating a girl that I had known in high school and I found out that she was a food addict, a recovering food addict, and she was in a support group with her mom, and um, so we talked a lot about our addictions, and I shared a lot with her about my struggles as a missionary and in high school about trying to stay sober and trying my very best, trying to be close to God, and I made some rationalizations to her about why I'd acted the way or trying to justify or downsize the seriousness of it, saying, well, you know, maybe masturbation isn't that bad. Maybe it's like, it's something that I shouldn't do, but I don't know if it's going to condemn me or anything. And when I told her that she, she was like, hold on, that's, that's kind of a red flag. Like you, you know that that's not a good thing. And I realized, yeah, maybe, maybe she's right. And then she asked me a question that I will always remember. She asked me, have you ever really been able to stop? like permanently. And I thought about it and I realized with a shock, no, I haven't. Every time that I thought I'd stopped, I started again. And I could only last a couple months at the most. And I think that was the first time I really realized the depth of this addiction and how much of my life it had, had controlled and has controlled I I think of that as the second awakening in my life. The first one was just an awakening in general of oh this needs to stop and the second one was no this really needs to stop and I don't have control over it. So I I was kind of at a loss of what to do because at that point I was doing all I knew how to do. But on um, this girl pointed me in a direction towards SA and I found out about it. I found the website. I I made the connections with some of the blogs I'd read. So I, I went to my first meeting about a year ago now, in December of 2017. And I remember walking in there, and I don't know if anything like clicked right away, but I felt like, here is a group of people who take this really seriously and who are committed to sobriety, which is the kind of sobriety I want. That's one thing I love about essays. There's not really any gray area about if you're sober or not, if you're in recovery or not, it's complete abstinence from any sexual activity with yourself or with anyone else other than a spouse, and progressive victory over lust. It's a very clear-cut definition, and I loved that because I hadn't really gotten that anywhere else at that point. It was more of like a general, well, yeah, this is bad, and you shouldn't look at it, you shouldn't act out with yourself this way, but there were a lot of buts and a lot of exceptions in my mind, at least. So I loved that, that clear definition. And I remember the first time I called into this phone meeting, it was last or this January, I was down at at school and I was sitting in my dorm room and I called the number and put in the access code. And I think I was a few minutes late to the meeting and I was thinking, okay, I don't know how many people there'll be. I'm guessing like nine or 10, including me. And people started introducing themselves and they kept introducing themselves, and they kept going, and suddenly there were 45 people on the and They were from all over the world, and it, it blew my mind, and it was very touching, and I thought, wow, there's a lot of us, and these are people that are like me. They want to stop. They want to have good lives. They don't want to be controlled by something as evil and as destructive as lust is, and it was a really... It was a moment where I I really felt that connection and felt a lot of hope that if these people can stay sober for years at a time, and some of them, they just sound so happy. If they can do it, then maybe I can do it too. And maybe I'm not condemned to a life of acting out every few months for the rest of my mortal existence. So I started taking the first steps. I got a sponsor in a face-to-face meeting, and it's been a little tricky because I go to school in a small town that's about two hours away from where I grew up and there's no meetings down there. So my sponsor and I usually just talk over the phone and I have to mainly rely on phone meetings, but um, I've, I've managed to make it work and God has helped me a lot along the way and made up for what I haven't been able to do or haven't been able to, or the meetings I haven't been able to go to. So that brings to me to, I think the final stage of my story, which is, what it's like now. I've learned what the difference is between fighting and surrender when it comes to addiction and a relationship with God. For so many years, I was trying to fight this. I was trying to use my own strength and willpower to stay clean, to not act out. Um, My brain was filled with lust and I was gritting my teeth, but I would walk away from the computer and say, aha, see, I won. I beat you. And then I would act out a few days later, a few weeks later, because the lust was still there and I hadn't been able to get rid of it on my own. So when I came to SA, I learned about this concept of surrender, where instead of you fighting it, you give it to God because he can fight it. He can totally beat it every time. And instead of you having to fight it, you just give it to him. And then he takes care of it as long as you're willing to let him have it. And, I was a little bit skeptical of that at first, but when I tried it, it worked. And it still works every time I try it. And it's a beautiful feeling to not have to rely on myself to stay sober, but to be able to rely on a higher power and to trust him. And from my experience, I will always be able to trust him. The only thing I, I can't always trust is myself, which is okay because I've learned now I don't have to. I can just give it to him. So since joining SA, I've had ups and downs and of course it hasn't been a perfect road. I've, I broke up with that first girl I was dating. I dated another girl and it was, it wasn't a good relationship. I was, I was pretty lustful towards her and she wasn't exactly a healthy person emotionally. So that ended up not working out over the summer and it was really, really hard for me because I wanted it to work out at the time and I, I had a lot of pain about that, wondering why it didn't work and feeling like I was a failure and that I didn't deserve to be loved and all of those things. But time heals and I'm now in a really good place with that. And I've seen her a couple of times down at school, but I've moved on and she's moved on. And I, I recognize now that she's not a good fit for me, but it doesn't make her a bad person. So that's been good. And I think in general, I've just, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm a sexaholic and I will always be a sexaholic, but I can always be in recovery if I choose to work the program, to come to meetings, to work with my sponsor and to keep myself connected with my higher power. And in coming to terms with myself, I've come to terms with other people and I've recognized that a lot of the ideas I had growing up and that that need to constantly feel accepted from people that that's not true. And if I rely on other people to make me happy, that I'm not going to be happy. I'm just going to spend the rest of my life comparing myself and, and seeking to feel that, that high of being accepted by others. And it's good to feel accepted. It's good to have healthy relationships, but your, your happiness comes from God and your relationship with him first and foremost. And, if you keep that in the center then everything else works out and your friendships will come naturally you will feel connected and you will be able to connect with people naturally but they won't be the source of all of your happiness. I have learned a lot about what progressive victory over lust is because since I've been sober I've I've recognized that there's a lot of time I spend on the computer on my phone watching videos that aren't aren't pornographic but they're they weren't good. And they were feeding my lust. Sometimes they were suggestive in very open ways, sometimes very subtle ways. But I realized, you know what, this is feeding my lust. And even though I'm not acting out necessarily, it will lead to me acting out because I have no control over this. I can't even allow a little bit in my life. So i I've cut a lot of that media out of my life, and I've felt so much better since I've done that. And it's still a learning process. There's still times where I watch a video and I think, ooh, you know what? That was not good. I need to give that up to God and not do that again. And I do, and it feels really good when I do that. I'm, I've learned a lot more about how to recognize lustful thoughts in myself, so when they come, I can say, God, I, I don't want this. Please take this from me. I surrender it to you, and please keep me sober for today. And this brings a lot of joy in my life. My life's not perfect and it's still hard, which is okay. But I I can look at myself now in a spiritual way and not feel guilt or feel like I'm hiding something or feel irreparably broken. I'm broken, but God is healing me and I don't have anything to hide from him. And that is the greatest feeling that I could ever imagine having. I let God take care of me, and he does every day. And it's such a great blessing. So I think that's all I have. That's my story. I'm still pretty young, and I'm still working the program. But I'm so thankful for what I've learned and where I am today. So thank you all for listening.